0: Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Jeff Bennett, co-anchor of PBS NewsHour, and it is a real privilege to be in conversation with you, Boyan. The plastics in the ocean, that is the most pressing environmental challenge we face. According to the latest research, there are 21,000 pieces of plastic in the ocean right now for every person on Earth. And that number has doubled every six years. What was the central, animating idea behind the ocean cleanup?
1: yeah, so so for me, it started about ten years ago when I was sixteen years old. I went scuba diving in Greece, and I was hoping to see all these beautiful things, like you seen the, the documentaries, right? And I went underwater and looked around me, and I just saw more plastic bags and fish and I was just so disappointed by that, that I asked myself the simple question, you know, why can't we just clean this up? And uh, that got a bit out of hand, to be honest. Um, that was, yeah, that kind of you know, started to dominate my, my mind. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And uh, that ultimately led to me starting the Ocean Cleanup.
0: So it seems like it was more of a personal mission than a social mission at the start.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, sometimes people ask me, like, why, why do you do what you do? And to me, the, so the counter question is always, always, like, why, why don't we all do this, right? It's such an obvious thing. If you see a problem, you try and fix it. And, um, yeah, I just saw this problem, and I thought, okay, let's, let's see what I can do something about it.
0: When you launched a, a few years ago, you set an ambitious goal of cleaning up half of the garbage patch every five years. That's what you set out to do. Are you on track to do that?
1: Yeah. So once we have a, a full fleet of systems in the garbage patch, that's indeed the the rate that we we aim to achieve. Actually, I think we we want to do it a bit faster than that. We want to get to you know eighty percent in in about ten years. So um, yeah. So so that's about the you know the the thing is with with the patch. The the more you get out, the less you get out, right? Because you're thinning it out. So it kind of the curve goes like this uh but yeah so yeah we're, we'll be on a pretty similar curve and to and that.
0: we should explain to the unfamiliar what the what the patch is what is it
1: yeah so it's this area twice the size of texas that's halfway between hawaii and california and uh, it contains about 250 million pounds of uh, of trash and Uh, The thing is that the currents there, they they converge. So once the plastic is in that area, it's it's trapped and it doesn't go away by itself. There's no coastlines in in that area, so uh, there's nothing for it to to remove the plastic. And um, so that's why once there, it stays there. And really to this day, at this moment, we see objects out there that we can date back to the 1960s, still in recognizable shape. They just have been floating around and causing a lot of damage day in and day out.
0: You say it's twice the size of Texas. Is that what it looks like when you're out there? It's just plastic in the ocean as far as you can see?
1: No. So it's not a, like a solid mass you know We see a map of it. So if you look at the absolute concentrations, it goes to you know, several hundred kilos per, per square kilometer. So you know, to use an analogy, that's like the weight of one soccer ball uh, every you know, soccer field worth of ocean so it's it's not like you can walk on it uh, but the thing is you know there, there are many soccer fields worth of ocean so adding all that weight combined actually means you're talking about you know, a shit ton of plastic that's the scientific term yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we should say as we continue our conversation we're also inviting your questions which you can submit uh, online and, and through the app how does your ocean technology work? I mean, the basic idea is to have this huge floating barrier that sucks up plastic, separates it, and then is carted off, right? How did you conceive of that, and, and how did you actually uh, build it out?
1: Yeah, so the, the original idea was actually very different, but turned out to be wrong. <laughs> so, the the initial idea was to to just use the the, the, the currents of the ocean to corral the plastic. So, uh, the idea was, okay, the plastic is moving around. Uh, you know, it costs energy to 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 you know, chase it. So, let's put a passive system in the ocean let that you know, autonomously collect the plastic, and then practically you can come by and, and, and collect it. The thing is, you know, we tried this uh, back in 2018, our first system. And then you know, after a month, it um, you know, we had to draw the conclusion that it wasn't collecting plastic, which, by the way, is a pretty important thing for an ocean cleanup system. And um, you know, then you know, sort of three, four months later, it actually broke into two with a you know, big structural failure. And um, yeah, you know, that was sort of the most expensive unscheduled learning opportunity we've we've had to date. Uh, but you know it did teach us a lot about the about the ocean. And um, you know, then ultimately, we decided to 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 pivot the solution to something that's actually active. Of course, it costs more energy; it costs more money to to tow it around this 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 barrier system. Uh, but you cover so much more area that you actually you know, it pays itself back. And at the same time, you can actually steer the system to where most of the plastic is. Because this, this garbage patch, it, you know, it, it, it might look homogeneous on, on you know, a macro scale. But then if you zoom in, actually, it's, it's very um, uh, heterogeneous. So uh, some areas have uh, you know, a lot of plastic. And actually, you can see plastic all around your ships. And then you know, one day later, you, you have this area where you see all, hardly any plastic looks like a clean ocean. Hmm. So being able to consistently sail through the areas where most of the plastic is, you know, that's really a really crucial uh, part of this cleanup approach. So that's why you know, we sometimes say you know, the this, this solution is sort of hardware 50% software because developing you know the computer modeling uh, almost like weather forecasting to to be able to uh, Tell the captains like okay tomorrow you have to go to this coordinate and the day after tomorrow You have to go to this coordinate and that's that's really sort of half the half the solution
0: Let's get granular for a second because it's one thing to have the idea It's a completely different thing to have that (laughs) Floating in the ocean. How did you get from the idea to the actual uh, device that 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 huge contraption sucking up all of the the plastic there Yeah in terms of in terms of funding right uh, the rights and legal issues to have something like that floating in the patch How, how did you do all that
1: uh, ten years of pain? <laughs> is a short answer uh, yeah, It's it's really been a sort of step-by-step process so of course we we started very small small group of volunteers Crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo raised our first 90k back in uh, in, in 2013 just uh, after I dropped out of university and um, And
0: you dropped out for this project.
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah, so I did half a year of aerospace engineering and then I you know, I Thought okay, let's I couldn't still couldn't stop thinking about this I thought okay, let's drop out give it a try if it doesn't work. You can always re-enroll after half a year But that didn't happen uh, so it was um, yeah, so we did yeah, the crowdfunding. So actually, I had done this, this TEDx presentation. Uh, that then went viral about a month or two after I dropped out. was being shared millions of times. And uh, that then allowed me to do the first crowdfunding campaign and uh, built the first team. Um, then yeah, following years, you know, it was about feasibility studies, about understanding the problem. So um, yeah, at some point in time, we were crossing this garbage patch with 30 boats and an airplane to to try and map it. And then you know, on the rivers, we, you know, no, know we haven't talked about it yet, but uh, we started putting these AI-powered cameras on bridges to measure how much plastic is flowing out of rivers because we also wanted to stop the inflow. And then ultimately, you know, around 2018, 19, we started to actually build these machines. Um, by then we had you know, been fortunate that uh, actually... But then I think a few million people had, had donated to us, including some, some very big names uh, in, in tech that um, yeah, then enabled us to, to build these first prototypes. And ultimately, that got us to, to this point a year ago that we now actually have proven technology you know, working systems both in the garbage patch as well as in, um, in some of the most polluting rivers yeah. around the world.
0: Uh, one of the first prototypes you made out of Legos, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly so. Um, yeah, I think one of the actually looking back, one of the mistakes that I made or that you know we made was that uh with that first ocean system, uh we just went too big too quickly. Um yes, of course we learned a lot through that failure, uh but it, i think we could have saved millions of dollars by failing in a cheaper way. Uh so so that's I think that's you yeah, know, that that should be sort of your objective when you Go through a process like this. How can you fail as cheaply as possible? <laughs> fail more cheaply. I like. So that. yeah. So then on 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 the riverside, uh, we tried to avoid that mistake. And then indeed, you know, first prototypes were just made out of Lego on a table, and uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it, it sometimes it feels a bit stupid, <laughs> but yeah. uh, uh, it's you know it's definitely a lot cheaper than uh, you know a ten million dollar system breaking yeah. in the middle of the ocean.
0: And And the ocean cleanup now has eleven interceptors in rivers all across the world. Tell me about the one in Guatemala, uh, because that, as I understand it, is the most polluted river in the world. Uh, so w- what's the effort there look like?
1: Yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. So I here actually you see a, a photograph of one of our interceptors. So uh, the idea there is to to put these machines in, in river mounts to catch plastic before enters the oceans because you know, rivers are the the arteries that carry the trash from from land to sea you know when it rains plastic washes from streets into gutters and then into creeks and, and, and rivers and um, you know, through our research what we found is that just 1% of the world's rivers um, emits roughly 80% of all the plastic that's flowing into the ocean so that's on one is good news 99% of the rivers we don't have to worry about but still it's a thousand rivers so it's still i you know a Pretty monumental task to to stop this. <laughs> At the same time, you know, when you think about the, the plastic pollution from a, a, a larger perspective, there's a, roughly 400 million tons of plastic being produced every year. I think you know, some activists argue, you know, we have to go as far upstream as possible. We have to tackle, you know, the root cause, and um, and that's why they sort of go after the the, the, the plastic production. And as much as I sort of ideologically to sort of agree with that, I think there's also a, a practical point of view where you know plastic is actually a very useful material. It's one of the, you know, the, the pillars of the, our modern world. And you know, that's why, for example, the OECD has now predicted that the amount of plastic being produced will triple by, by 2060 and you know some countries do these what they call plastic or single-use plastic bands but actually if you then read the fine print it, it just reduces the amount of plastic by maybe three or four percent mm. so uh, i i don't think it's very a, a very tractable um endeavor to try and um, turn off the tap by by going fully upstream uh, the, the good news is though that out of this 400 million tons, only about a million tons actually flows into the ocean. So that's about a quarter of a percent. So uh, by addressing that quarter of a percent that we know is flowing you know, into the oceans, you know, we believe that's going to be the fastest and most cost-effective way to, to prevent all this plastic from from entering the oceans. And this is also how we can decouple plastic production from... These plastic emissions, because ultimately, you know, if we're going to be realistic, you know, that's what we're going to have to do uh, if we want to see the amount of emissions going down um, in the near future. Now, I haven't answered your question about <laughs> Guatemala yet. Uh, so, yeah, so now we're in uh, we're in 11 rivers in uh, Southeast Asia and Central America, and um, now out of these 1,000 rivers the one that we believe to be the most polluted in the world, is um, the Rio Motagua, which is in, in Guatemala. It's a, it's a very special case because in Guatemala City, uh, there's this landfill which they actually build inside of the river, which is, if anyone wants to build a landfill, please don't build them in a river. It's not a, not a smart thing to do. So what happens is during the dry season, it's okay, but then when, when it starts raining... It's, um, you know, part of that trash then washes down and creates these trash tsunamis coming down the river. So I, I think we might have a video of this as well. But um, it's really the craziest thing we've, we've ever seen. So we tried to stop this last year. We put a sort of a 30-foot-high fence wow. in the river. And, let, and me, then, let me ask you this. So yeah.
0: did, did the local government there approach you, or did you know about this, and then you said, we have this solution, let's give it a try?
1: Um, so it was. Uh, I think for this particular project, we actually worked. Uh, to, yeah, we we approached them, and they were very happy to to work together. Um, so yeah, what you see here. So we had a a million. Uh, so we have two million pounds of of trash coming down this river in uh, in twenty minutes. Uh, At first it was being stopped and then we had this erosion uh, problem at the the bottom of this uh, interceptor trash fence through which then, uh, unfortunately, all this trash slipped through our fingers, which was very painful. Um, uh, About a week later I went to the coastline of the Caribbean coastline of Guatemala and um, it was just this two two feet deep layer of plastic all along the coast. And it felt different, you know have been to too many polluted places around the world, but um, yeah, this was our plastic you know we we should have been able to stop this, and um, so it just felt a lot more personal but um, yeah, so unfortunately, last year our first attempt didn 't work, but uh, we 've now developed a you know two solution, and um, yeah, I expect that well, in about a month and a half from now, it should be fully up and running, so hopefully. Second attempt will, uh, will, for once and for all, stop these trash tsunamis.
0: Wow. You answered one of the questions I had for you, but I want to draw you out on it a bit more. And it's, it sort of falls under the umbrella of no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, critics of your organization who say that the focus should be on stopping the use of single-use products, not removing plastics from the ocean. It strikes me as insane that anyone could criticize the work that your organization is doing, um, but how, how do you how does it strike you? How do you respond to it?
1: Yeah, look, I think I think the world will be a better place if we you know, focus on the outcome that we all try and achieve rather than um, Having very fixed beliefs on the way we should try and get to that goal um, and it will be a, an even better place if we, you know, stop criticizing each other um, or other people that have different means to to achieve that goal, right? So, um, well, thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think at the European we try to be pragmatists. You know, we don't have any, you know, hard you know, sort of dogmatic beliefs in terms of you know, this is the way we should do it. We kind of follow where the the evidence goes, and we try things and see what works and see what doesn't and um, yeah so that, so that's kind of the way we look at it and then you know I think there's sort of a you know a bigger uh, point to make here, which is that you know ev- everything uh, that we take for granted today used to be impossible at some point in time, so uh, you yeah, we're trying to do something new we're trying to do technology I mean people criticize us for. This being impossible, and yet here we we are doing it. Um, So, and I think you know, I think pre nineteen, early nineteen seventies, there was this spirit. I think especially here in America, that as long as you could. Dream it; you, you know, it could could happen, right? So, it's uh, just this, this optimistic spirit of um, you know, we as humanity, by working together, by using our ingenuity, we can you know, move mountains. Um, sometimes, literally, like with the the Panama Canal. Um, so, but but yeah, since yeah so somewhere along the way, that spirit kind of died, and um, you know, the as a society and and the media put a lot more. Um, gave a, a much bigger platform to to the critics of people who are actually doing things, and um, I think that's um, that's a shame. I think it also, if you think about the the environmental movement today and the most prominent voices in in, in that movement, it's a lot about what we shouldn't do. It's about, it's very focused on the problems, not on the solutions. It's focused on. Um, trying to stop people from doing things rather than building things, and I think ultimately you know big problems require big solutions and um, you know technology i believe is is you know, the the biggest agent of change that we have here technology is nothing more than an amplifier of human capability. And if we if we don't use that power in our advantage to solve the great problems of, of our time, um, you know, it's uh, we are putting ourselves as a dis- at a disadvantage to to have a good chance at, at solving this. So so mm-hmm. what I hope that with the ocean cleanup, you know, we can create this symbol of, you know, not fighting against the things that we don't agree with, but building, you know, building towards a, a future that we do agree with, because that's ultimately I think what not only plastic pollution needs, but um, basically the the plethora of of issues that that the environment faces today.
0: It it seems to me that you have in mind, I don't want to say a new, but maybe a different version of environmentalism that is solutions-focused, as you said, but but humanistic Hmm. and um, sort of more in line with the way people live, right?
1: Yes. um, So... Sometimes people ask me what's your favorite species of animal, and I tend to say humans. <laughs> I think humans are pretty cool. Uh <laughs> it's uh, blue whales are cool too, I must say. But um yeah, no, I've, I I love humanity. I, I, I'm you know, I'm I get inspired by um you know people who who do great things and that you know you move humanity forward. And um yeah, I think ultimately as you say, like, you know, we, we, we as a society, we, we must move forward, but we shouldn't forget to to clean up after ourselves, right? So, if you think about the um, the last two hundred years, humanity has made tremendous progress when it comes to, you know, wealth, health, education, uh, knowledge, violence, um, you know, basically any possible dimension you can measure progress on uh you know life has gotten so much better for 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 all of us really um but the thing is this progress has had side effects right so uh, and i think rather than kind of rallying against these these positive trends because they had these side effects i think we should rather learn from what worked i mean these were problems that seemed intractable like um Infectious diseases like uh, smallpox, polio, um, you know, those seem to be you know, impossible to solve. And then we solve them. I think rather than rejecting modernity and saying, okay, this is what causes this, these problems and we should move away from that, you know, we should learn from it. And we should see, okay, we solve problems that way. And can we apply that to, to these side effects too?
0: Picking up on what you said about technology, I have a couple more practical questions about the, the interceptor. Namely, uh, give us a sense of the AI technology that it uses, the mapping technology, and how that technology is able to sort of lessen the impact on marine life, in particular, where you have these
1: interceptors deployed. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there are multiple ways we use uh, we use cameras and um, machine learning uh, to, um, to have this computer vision system. So. One hand, on one hand, we use it to to try and understand the problem, right? So have these these AI-powered cameras that we put on bridges to measure how much is flowing out of rivers, so uh, and we can do this real time, right? So we can see you know, the, the peaks when it rains, and um, yeah, that's crucial information for us to know where to deploy, how many rivers to do, you know, things like that. And then we also put these cameras, which we're now piloting it with our own vessels at sea, to automatically measure how much plastic is on the surface of the ocean. So the and the, the plan is actually to, in the future, to um, to expand this to, Basically hundreds of vessels uh, around the world so that we have this real-time uh, data monitoring uh, network of the ocean so we can see how much progress we've made ourselves in terms of cleaning up the ocean but also just informing anyone else working on this issue how much plastic is in the ocean so that's kind of the de- detecting side and then we also have these cameras now integrated into our cleanup systems so that we can see if there's anything going in that shouldn't go in, right? So um, we have these cameras. We've, we've trained them with a lot of photos of species of animal <laughs> that uh, you know, we don't want to have entering the system. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it works well, right? So uh, already, because the system in the ocean is moving so slowly, um, you know, we see hardly any bycatch. So 99.9% of what we pull out is plastic. Um, but, yeah, as a sort of an extra safety measure, we have these cameras in the system, and we use that to, to indeed detect if anything goes in that, that shouldn't go in.
0: What about the, the rivers? What's the impact on marine life in the, in the rivers?
1: Yeah, no, so we haven't had any uh, really any bike issues with the with the interceptors, Um, sometimes because the rivers we're in are dead already, so that you know, sometimes are <laughs> so we before every er, you know, every deployment that we do, we have um, independent experts do an environmental impact assessment, and um, sometimes they just come back and say, "Well, we didn't see any life in this river," so it's like, "Okay, take the box. Uh, but sometimes, yeah, there is. But the thing is, the you know, the the, the machine itself, um, you know, it, underwater, it, it does make some noise. So if you're a fish, you know, you don't know, you shouldn't swim in it, and. Um, yeah, no, so it's um, it's doing what it's supposed to do.
0: What have you learned from the iterative process, from the successes, and really from the failures that your organization has had in order to get to the point where you do have 11 interceptors and in rivers all across the world and one in the patch?
1: Uh, yeah, so I think the, the, the core lesson there has been that... Yeah, there's only so much you can do behind a computer, you know, behind your desk in, in an office. Uh but that learning really happens in the field. Um, you know, as mentioned before, I think you know, you can learn in various ways and some are cheaper than others. Uh but yeah, I, I think it is absolutely critical to to let your ideas be stress tested. With reality as as quickly as possible, uh, because that's yeah that that's the, yeah, the the way you you learn and how you uncover these these unknown unknowns. Um, I think at the same time we also learned that it's very important to have the the right people on the team doing this. I think not everyone is comfortable with this sort of iterative approach. It's quite stressful. It's painful at times when you put a lot of your passion into something and then you see it break right so um so it it requires a special breed of people i would say that um keeps a positive mindset throughout this
0: what's the level of um cultural competence that your team needs to have in order to work with local governments all around the world the Interceptor that you deploy in Europe is not the same Interceptor that you would deploy in South America. And there are all sorts of cultural issues unique to both environments, I'd imagine. How, how do you approach that?
1: Yeah. Um, so the, the key thing there is to, to always hire local people uh, as well, right? So, uh, so the Interceptors, they're run by local organizations. Uh, we always hire local reps to, to help with the, the project management. Um, it's um yeah it it it's very interesting to see how different it is to so sort of do business in in all these different cultural um circumstances uh, but yeah i mean it's absolutely critical to make these these projects a a success right it's yeah so just to to name a few examples um you know there are some countries where we're in where you know, the minister proudly says, like, oh, we have these these very dirty rivers here, and but we're going to work with the ocean cleanup. And in some other places, it's more like, you know, whatever you do, don't talk about the problem, right? <laughs> so it's, um, you yeah, know, and then you have, um, you know, different levels at which, um, you know, people think uh, ahead or not. And, um, you yeah, know, it's, it's really fascinating. But, yeah, the best way is to just, um, you know, buy that cultural knowledge by, by getting local people into the team.
0: And I imagine you have an army of lawyers who helps uh, work out all of the logistic and legal issues when it comes to deploying these things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, unfortunately, you know, I have quite a few lawyers on the team. Yeah, no no, no offense <laughs> to any lawyer in the room. No, but it's, yeah. I mean, sometimes the, the paperwork involved, you know, I, I think it's always a silly thing um, that... How much, uh, yeah, how many environmental permits we have to <laughs> apply to, and actually how much it delays taking plastic out of the ocean and rivers, um, which you, you would say you, you would expect environmental permits to have the objective of helping the environment. Right. Uh, but you know, in our case, it seems to often be the opposite. Where if you think about, okay, so for example, now in you know, one of the rivers where we expect to deploy soon, this process. Probably delayed deployment uh, by about a year. Well, that's like a thousand tons of trash going into the ocean in that half year. Um, was that really worth the, <laughs> the permit? Right. So, so maybe we should think about sort of a different kind of permitting regime for projects that harm the environment versus projects that help the environment. Mm-hmm. Just a suggestion. Um, but yeah, definitely. So. Permits is um, especially on rivers. It's um, you know for oceans, it's actually much easier because yes, it's international waters and something like this has never been done before. So it's um, you know, to get everything sorted for the first time was really complex. Uh, but now you know, we're dealing with the same ocean conditions. When we scale, it's just, it's going to be just the same systems. It's the same authority. You know we just have the Dutch flag, so it's it's all under the same legal framework um so that's just it was very difficult to get one thing to work in the oceans but then scaling it we believe is more or less going to be copy paste Mm -hmm. uh on rivers though it's uh, almost every river project is is its unique project so uh, you have different authorities you you know the the interceptor technology that we use tends to be different for each river. Um, we you know, we have different stakeholders in terms of who's going to take care of the waste, who's going to operate it. So, so the you know it's it, it was relatively easy to get one thing to work in rivers, but then scaling it is is, is really challenging. Um, so, you know, now one of the upcoming river projects, uh, there are five different ministries involved, <laughs> just getting the paperwork organized Can for you it. Say
0: where it is or not yet.
1: Um, this one has actually has not been announced yet, okay. but and I also don't want to shame any particular <laughs> government. Uh, but fair enough. Yeah, it's. I would say we, you know, one ministry should be okay <laughs> in the future. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, uh, we are inviting your questions, so please submit them. We'll get to them shortly. How should we think about sustainability in a way that recognizes it as a urgent global imperative? and not some sort of high-minded issue that gets talked about at
1: conferences like these. Yeah, look, I think the, um, I think one of the the good things that the environmental movement has achieved, um, next to all the, I think the harm that has been done in terms of rallying against nuclear energy and things like that, but, uh, is that it has put these issues on on the map, right? So I think we can all agree these you know, these issues are real, and um, that um, yeah, it's affecting everyone, in two you know different degrees, right? So I think over here in a nicely air-conditioned environment, perhaps we we don't realize it as much but you know, there's three billion people relying on fish as their primary source of protein and uh, what we see is that plastic is entering that same food chain and um, it has all sorts of you know negative health risks associated with it right and that's just you know the plastic pollution issue so yeah, i think it's um like people don't realize how much we are still um Connected to the environment in terms of you know, really our primary needs and um, If you just fly in an airplane you look down Actually, most of the surface area you see is, is being used for for food production. It's it's, you know, it's really quite quite incredible and all of that is of course dependent on um, you know, on rainfall on pollinators, etc. So um, you know, It's we're very much still even though we try and isolate ourselves uh, from the environment through our innovations, um, we're still not completely decoupled from, from nature. Um, so, yeah, it's just an important thing we have to, to take care of.
0: Who are your influences and, and what keeps you in this work? I think you could be forgiven if you had said two years ago, you know what? I'm burned out. Someone else has to carry this torch, but you still do it. Why?
1: I guess somebody has to do it. <laughs> it's um, Yeah, it's not like, so, of course, there have been moments that were really tough, and um, especially after that first system failed, it was, you yeah, know, was just, um, you yeah, know, all these sort of experts were like, oh, I see, told you so, it could never be done. And, you know, the media was like, oh, look, like, um, yeah, I think the New York Times headline was this, they promised to clean the ocean, Now their dream is in pieces, or something like that. So that's like okay. How'd that make you feel when you read that? Eh, Not great. Uh, (laughs) um, And then, of course, the team reads that too, and they're like, "Should I? Should I keep spending all my eighty hours a week on this?" And um, so that was a a, a tough period. But then, if you just rationally approach it, it's it's not like there's four other organizations. Um, on standby to, um, you know, to take over or to take over, you know, pick up the, the baton and keep going uh, if we would have failed. And I think even even worse, if, if, if we would fail, I think that would actually actively discourage others from trying because I think we've been pretty successful in, you know, uh, gathering support for, for this mission. So people can point at us and say, like, look, if, if the ocean cleanup failed, well, how on earth... Am I going to, you know, make make it happen? So, so it just felt like, um, yeah, if, if we don't do this, it's it's just not going to happen. So, so that I think that that's really what what keeps me yeah. keeps me going.
0: On the question of your, your influences, do, who are your mentors? Who are the people who inspired you? Who are the people that you look to for examples?
1: Um. So whenever I don't work, I like to to read a lot, and um, um, I think yeah, the 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 people and projects that inspire me most are uh, so this the turn of the century innovators, people like the the Wright brothers and um, Thomas Edison. Um, you know, I, I think more than the individual, I think there's the general spirit that was there around the time. You know, I talked about you know this can-do attitude of, um, you know, um, and sort of celebrating new crazy ideas. I think I find that very, you know, very inspiring. At the same time, you know, mega, mega projects um, in general inspire me a lot. So, yeah, I, I don't think I can ever get enough from, well, you know, reading books about the Apollo project, for example. Mm. I think that's, to me, still the, yeah the most... Probably one of the most inspiring things humanity has ever done and you know, when you think about the you know the value that has that had, you know that project created is sometimes people approach it through a sort of a utilitarian lens and do the cost benefit analysis and say like okay it costs i don't know three percent of us gdp at the time and what do we get in return non-stick frying pans and <laughs> you know, things like that tang yeah <laughs> Um but you know I think way more important than I I think it's the you know the spiritual value that it has created. It's uh, you know it has inspired a generation to to think big, to um you know to you know to be innovative, to become engineers and um yeah, and I think like, to this day I think it inspires a lot of people. So um yeah, love Apollo for sure.
0: What is the long term metric of success for the ocean cleanup
1: um so the so the kPI that we that we track actually for Ocean river, we have a slightly different one so for oceans it's percentage of the legacy plastic cleaned up, and for rivers, it's the percentage of uh, of the global plastic leakage that we that we have stopped uh, stopped and um, yeah the thing is you know, the closer you get to 100% the more difficult it's going to be right so for now we said okay pareto principle 80 20 we say okay if we, if we get to you know 80% then we we should be you know pretty pretty happy so um so yeah so that's roughly where we want to get to in um, in about 10 years from now
0: and and what do you do with the plastic that you take out of the ocean in, in some instances you're actually creating new products with it
1: yeah no that's right so in terms of what we take out of the garbage patch, actually all of that is being recycled. Um, so we um, set up a, a processing line. It actually was pretty challenging, but um, we made it work. And to, to prove we can actually do it, we you know these sunglasses, they were uh, our proof of concept. So we made these um, sort of high-design $200 sunglasses, and we sold them out in a short amount of time, 25,000 pieces, um, which, of course, is not going to... Fund the whole cleanup uh, you, know, or you go to make billions of sunglasses let 's no that's, that that will work um, but uh, yeah so the the thing is that it, it really proved to the world that you can make something beautiful, something you know durable out of this uh, material and uh, since then we've we 've started signing these these partnerships with global brands to to incorporate this material into their Know, durable, durable um, sustainable products so for example now we um, have this deal with uh, with Kia the car company where um, soon our material will find their way into uh, their electric vehicles for example oh, wow. so and you know a few more will expect to announce later this year yeah. um, so yeah, so things like that I think at, at least so, of course, it's, it's a very expensive material. It's much more expensive to take it out of the middle of the ocean than from a garbage bin on the street, right? Uh, but, it's, uh, of course, it comes with this the story of the ocean cleanup attached to it, and hopefully that will give it enough premium that you know, at least part of the cost of the cleanup can be recuperated through the, mm-hmm. the, the catch we take out.
0: And, and when it comes to funding, I would imagine that those are fairly, you tell me if I'm wrong, easy conversations to have only in that... It's really easy to explain what you do uh, and the and the buy in is pretty straightforward
1: yeah, I think the explaining the problem part is usually not very difficult it's, um, it's of course about making the plan credible about the next steps and um, you know the, the the roi of it all um, so yeah, it's much more about the yeah, you know, the, the the way we get there, the scale up plan, yeah, you know, those are the kind of conversations that you know we tend to have with with funders.
0: Yeah, we're going to turn to the submitted questions in a second, but before we do that, I want to ask you. I think it's always interesting to to draw out innovators like yourself. What what are you currently curious about?
1: Hmm. It, hmm. Ironically, about the the answer I'm going to get to this to this question, but um, yeah, I, I tend to yeah. I, and for people that know me, um, I, I, look, if you think about, you know, what what am I good at? I, I don't think I'm uniquely intelligent. I mean, there's people in, you know, even well, not even, but in the ocean cleanup team that are. Just way smarter than I am, you know. When it comes to you know the mathematics they apply to their work, it's just you know incredible. Um, but I would say I'm I am sort of in the 99th percentile when it comes to curiosity. I would say so. Um, like, is there anything I'm not curious about? I'm I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I tend to spend my free time sort of roaming Wikipedia and getting lost yeah. in some wormhole um,
0: is the work you're doing now is this what you had envisioned you'd be doing when you had this seed of an idea to remove plastic from the ocean
1: so so i, I think during my childhood i was being fascinated about technology and i always wanted to be um you know a builder or creator um so uh and yeah i actually you know probably since I was like 10 years old, I wanted to be an inventor and, you know, sort of using technology to solve, you know, a problem. Back then, actually, I was, I think when I was 11 or 12, I um, I entered the, the Guinness Book of Records uh, by um, launching more than 200 water rockets at the same time, <laughs> which, um, yeah, wasn't very useful. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah. So, so, but at the same, yeah. So, I was already interested in technology, at the, but I was longing for something more useful to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, when I, when this plastic pollution problem uh, entered my radar, to me it felt like a sort of a good starter project. It was sort of the you know, the biggest problem that I could imagine. I would have a sort of a non-zero chance of of addressing. Um, I, I, by the way, I thought there would be like a ninety-five percent chance of it failing, uh, but I thought, yeah, it's a big problem, and yeah, it's a, it's a non-zero chance. So let's give it a try. Um, but yeah, so what I would, what I hope to do is uh, at least I hope to have enough time to, you know, to use the lessons that I learned, but through the ocean cleanup to apply those to other sort of mega projects to solve societal problems in in the future too.
0: Fantastic. All right, let's get to your questions. Um, Coca-Cola is a sponsor. Are they helping you, or do you help them? There's a glare in the monitor, so forgive me as I try to read it.
1: Yeah, so Coke got involved about a year ago for some of our river projects, so they adopted some of the, the river machines. And yeah, no, so actually for a long time, you know, when we got approached, we said, like, no, we don't really have an interest, but then at some point in time, it started to make sense for a few reasons. Firstly, we needed operational capacity around the world. So we, you know, we're just a s- relatively small team. We have 150 people on, on payroll. Um, I think they have some, like 100,000 people or more um, in in their on their payroll. So, um, and they're in. Of course, they're deeply ingrained in the countries where we where we operate. So then we figured, okay, if we can use their logistical network their relations with with the recyclers with government um, if that can help accelerate what we do you know, that's obviously going to be you know a good thing for for the ocean right and um, and similarly, I think um, you know a world where coca-cola does help pay for the solution of the problem they, in part, help create, I think that's, again, a better world. And, you know, it's a better thing for the ocean than if they wouldn't pay for it, like you know, some of their their competitors and at, at the moment. So, so that's why we said, you know, so initially you had some hesitation, like, you know, uh, how's that going to impact you know, us and the way people look at us? But then we realized, OK, ultimately, it's all about the ocean. And if this is going to help clean the ocean quicker, you know, that's just the decision we have to take.
0: Another question uh, is, have you developed or are you planning on developing a technology to deal with the plastic on the bottom of the ocean?
1: Hmm. So I think the good, the good news is that um, you know, most of the plastic that is being emitted from rivers is floating plastic. For a few reasons. Firstly, it wouldn't reach the mouth of the river if it wouldn't be afloat. Um, and secondly, the, um, the type of plastic that's being used for uh, packaging, which is the dominant source flowing out of, of rivers, um, is uh, our polyolefins, So PE, PP, which are types of plastic that are lighter than the water. So they, they float. So, so actually, the majority of the plastic is um, at the surface. Uh, not everything, unfortunately. But if you think about the um, the cost-benefit analysis of removal, you know at the surface you know, there's a, a very big harm um, caused by the plastic, because that's where it it gets easily entangled in marine life. It mimics food, so that's where it enters the the food chain. While um, the removal, you know, we've proven to be um, you know pretty much harmless. Uh, now. When you look at the seabed the the equation is the exact opposite where you know it's very hard to remove anything from the seabed um in a way that doesn't disturb the ecosystem and then in terms of the harm that it does you know that's still largely well unknown or unproven d- depending how you look at it but um yeah the the sort of negative interactions with with marine life at least we know is it's is a lot less than than at the surface of course the plastic at the surface too because it passes through different ecosystems carries the the invasive species with it which is another you know sort of extinction risk uh, caused by plastic so so that's why we say, okay if you want to do everything you'll succeed at nothing let's focus on you where the problem is most harmful and um, where it's most tractable as well. Yeah. Uh,
0: one question is, you are basically on a journey to disrupt your own company. What are you going to do when the patches are gone and all polluting rivers have an interceptor? Putting yourself out of work.
1: Yeah. Now, actually, so we're actually pretty explicit about this, that we want to help ourselves out of business. It's... Um, Oddly enough, we don't see many nonprofits stating this explicitly. I think more should. Um, you know, the goal is to not exist. And you know, the sooner we can move on, the, the better it is. Um, but yeah, I said, I think there's many, you know, there's quite a, a few problems in the world still. I mean, snow, no, <laughs> no <laughs> surprise there. <laughs> and um, I, you know, what I hope is that, you know, again, the, the the methodology that we you know, that we create with the ocean cleanup, and um, sort of the example that we set in terms of sort of positive problem solving. Um, yeah, you know, that that can be applied to to other problems in the future. Too, um, yeah, you know, my hands are always itching, and I've too many too many ideas. But yeah, you know, I think it's. I I don't think the other things will happen if the ocean cleanup is not successful. So I'm, mm-hmm. really kind can of forcing myself to you know, focus one thing at the time. And, um, yeah, I think this this one will keep me busy for a few more years, for sure.
0: Uh, It says, um, will the technologies that you are developing be available as open source so I can use the elements to design something to clean up my local lake?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, actually, so, as we're funded by basically everyone, right, so um, we... Always publish our scientific findings in open access journals, and also, you know, we're not going to, you know, we have some patents, but we're never going to. Obviously, we're not going to fight anyone that that uses our technology to remove plastic from the environment, right? So, so whomever wrote that question, please go ahead. (laughs) Um, It's um, yeah, I mean, the the sooner, yeah, or the. The, the, the more plastic is removed from the environment, the better, right? So, Here, here's a question uh,
0: that I hadn't thought of. This, this is a really interesting one. Do you collect microplastics? If not, have you thought about how to do it, and is that a future goal?
1: Yes. So, that did you, at the article club, we focus on the the, the, the pieces that are so roughly around the border of the the definition of where microplastics start, which is five millimeters. Um, the thing is, if you go smaller, the amount of energy that you have to use to to drag something through the ocean um, it goes up by a lot, while your catch only marginally increases. Because right now, uh, fortunately, just eight percent of the plastic that's in the ocean is is small, so ninety-two percent is still large, uh, which you know is is a, is a good thing in terms of cleanup. At the same time. Um, it does put the time pressure on what we do, right? Because if we're going to wait another you know, 20, 30 years, all of that large stuff we see today will ultimately fragment down to the microplastics as well. And then it will A, be you know, much harder to clean up, but also probably more more harmful because that's the stuff that, that ends up in the food chain. So, So it's very much... So sometimes we get criticized, but people say like, oh, "No, you should do prevention." But I would argue that what we're doing, yeah, in terms of the removal of the plastic from the, you know, the stuff that's already in the ocean, uh, that that's a way of prevention too, because it, it prevents, you know, the big stuff from becoming microplastics and um, sort of entering the the water column and then entering the food chain.
0: Uh, does your do your teams work with volunteers?
1: Um, yeah, so we have some, so if you go to our website, theoceancleanup.com, um, there's sort of a big list of all the um, yeah, the open job applications now, also other ways to support, but you know, one of the ways is um, citizen science, so um, what you can do, you know, with this app that you can use to you know, go to your local river and count how much plastic is flowing by and, you know, it's sort of um you know, pretty easy way for us to increase our, our data set on on all these rivers around the world. Um so yeah, that's I think one of the sort of volunteer um programs that, that we have and people can be can be part of. Yeah. Here's
0: a question from Vanessa Vasquez. Do you plan to develop some technology that also cleans seas and rivers from oil spills like those that occur in the Amazon or the
1: Peruvian coast? Hmm. Um no, so, we, so at Digi we, we really focus on on the plastic. Uh, what we do see is though that uh, the plastic often attracts o- oily contaminants. So by removing the plastic, we we inadvertently also remove um, you know, some some oil pollution. Um, but yeah, it's so it's not. Um, yeah, you know, again, if we want to do everything, we'll succeed at nothing. So um, yeah, for us, you know, our only KPI is what's the percentage of of the plastic pollution problem solved. Uh,
0: there's a question here that I think is a joke, but I'm going to ask it seriously. Could Chris Martin call Bono
1: and Beyonce to buy an interceptor? Uh, presumably, he can. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, the story here is that so Coldplay has um, is a big supporter of ours. They actually funded one of the interceptors in, in Malaysia. And um, yeah, it's sort a of pretty cool thing. It um, <laughs> gives. Get some more exposure to to what we do. And, um, yeah, so if, if Bono or Beyoncé are in the room, you're welcome to join. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: We've got a few minutes left. I don't think there are any more submitted questions. Someone shout if I'm wrong about that. Um, but looking, you know, two, three years down the line, what do you see for yourself? What do you see for the ocean cleanup?
1: Yeah, um, so... So about a year ago, we came to the point that we got our solutions to work, which was a pretty important step. So now we can confidently say humanity now has the, the tools available to do this. It's not a, a question anymore of, oh, can we clean the ocean? No, we, we know we can. The thing is, though, scaling the solutions as, as is would be you know, a pretty risky and expensive endeavor. So if you... Take our current ocean cleanup system. I think you would need maybe 50 of them, approximately, to uh, to get the job done. So, so that of course would be be very expensive. Uh, And also in rivers, with our current 11 river systems, we still have you know. uh, very uh, occasionally we still have teething troubles of, uh, you know, a conveyor belt breaks down or, or a barrier uh, detaches, little operational things that you really want to have ironed out before you're in a hundred rivers, because, you know, you can imagine the headaches that our team will have once we have these kind of issues, uh, you know, 10 times the number of issues that we have today. Um, So, so that's really what this year is about. It's about, learning how to walk before we start to run, which mean, which on, on, on the riverfront means uh, completing our first 20 river projects. So we still have a few in, in, in the pipeline now. Um, so making sure that they are really done, right? So that they really run like clockwork. They really are at high efficacy, no more stupid issues. Uh, we want to get that done by the end of the year. And that will then be the foundation for, for scale-up starting starting next year. And, yeah, on, on Oceans, so same story. So, uh, again, we, we could scale up today, but we think we can be a lot more effective and a lot more cost-effective if we first perfect one system before scaling up. So that's what this year is about on Oceans. And What we're going to do is we're going to launch uh, what we call System 3, which will be three times the size of the current system. Uh, so uh, And that, that one is so big that it will clean an area the size of a football field every three seconds. So, and now we're only doing one every 10 seconds. So, you know, slackers. Um, So, so, yeah, so that's an important step. And that will be the the blueprint for scale-up. So by the end of the year, we expect to actually have this blueprint for scale-up for ocean and river so that, um, you know, in the coming years we can scale up to this entire fleet and be on track to, you know, rid the oceans of plastic, you know, in about 10 years from now.
0: In the minute and a half we have left, what is the most, or are the most, enduring lessons you've learned about innovating and about leadership through this process?
1: It's a big question for (laughs) one minute and 19 seconds. 18, (laughs) 17, 16. Um, So, I think one thing is, um, looking back at the beginning, the early days, I I really didn't know what I was doing. and the initial ideas that we had were were wrong, right? So, the the ideas about you know, this passive system didn't work. Ultimately, though, it turned out to not matter—a whole big deal. Um, I think what what was way more important is um, you know having the persistency to to keep going in the face of adversity, and um, you know being having the willingness to change your mind if uh, the the evidence is contrary to what you want to believe, right? So, um, and yeah, the most, yeah, the, the biggest moments of acceleration throughout our history were the moments where we said, okay, we acknowledge this doesn't work, let's try something else. And yeah, those are very sort of humbling moments, but um, ultimately when you make them, in hindsight, you know, they're yeah, they're really, really critical. And um yeah, and then leadership I would say, you know, getting the right people on the team that you know have this mindset that you know you need to hire for aptitude rather than uh expertise. It's what we've um, noticed, especially when you're doing something that has never been done before, you know, expertise are not super um, super relevant. And also putting a premium on people's positive attitudes. Um, you know, there have been periods where, you know, one sort of negative Nancy can completely you know, turn the uh, the dynamic of a of a team around. So having people that all want to create the success together and put the interests of the mission before their personal interest. I think that has been probably the most important thing I've learned over the years. William
0: Slat, it's a real pleasure to speak with you. Absolutely. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And thank you all for your great questions. William <clears throat> Slat, CEO of the Ocean Cleanup.